started last Sunday, and we are in the book of Romans 14, so if you have your Bible, uh, open it up, or if you can turn it on if you've got it in an app. Uh, but we're looking at, at a church there in Rome where there were two divisions. There were Greek, uh, Greek believers and Roman belie- uh, Jewish believers, and when they came to church, there was just... The, the Jewish Christians didn't think the Gentile Christians were acting right. The Gentile Christians didn't think the Jewish Christians were acting right. And they started picking on each other, uh, judging one another. And that's kind of where we are uh, today. Where, where, we, where we ended up last week was Paul basically said, we all have to stand before God to give an account for what we did and things like that. Uh, I, I do know this about churches. Not everything we do in churches are, are scripture Scriptural doesn't mean they're wrong. It's their tradition. That's who we are. It's who we came from. It's the way it's always been done. Something like that. Uh, but sometimes that can be detrimental. It can be very adverse to the church. Uh, back at the advent of, of radio, there were some churches who refused to put their sermons and their worship services on the radio because the Bible says in the book of Ephesians that the devil himself is the prince of the air. Throw that verse up for me, Rusty says he's the prince of the air. So churches said, well, we don't want to put anything out there where the enemy's at, so we won't do that. Uh, But that's how it was uh, at the beginning of radio. Some churches were scared of it. Uh, So there would be some some conflict there. Uh, Nothing in the Bible about putting something on the radio. Y'all, something similar happened when churches started going to to online services because there's so much junk online. So some churches thought, well, we don't want to put that out there with all that other content. Uh, some people and some believers make a big deal out of what Bible you read. If you don't use the King James Version Bible, then you're not really a Christian. You're not really preaching. You know, they kind of say, well, if the King James Version Bible was good enough for Peter and Paul and Jesus, it's good enough for me. Uh, but, but that can be a test of orthodoxy, of, you know, if you're a legit Christian or not. For other churches, uh, it might be a beard. True story. We were on vacation uh, and I went into a church of another denomination. I was by myself, sitting on the back row, wanted to go to this church. And I got in there, and I've, I had a beard at the time, and the pastor started preaching against beards. Uh, true stories up in Salem. Uh, but at that same church, they also preached about women wearing makeup and women wearing pants and things like that. And none of that, you know, none of that's in the Bible either. Baptist church I grew up in, Miss Pam and I grew up in, there was a church covenant on the wall about where that window was. And it, it talked about what was expected of the church members. You know, don't drink, don't gamble, don't dance, don't hang out with people who do, things like that. And uh, don't, uh, don't, don't, have, don't use tobacco products and things like that. I looked all over the Bible. I couldn't find anything about tobacco. Uh, the thing is... You know, the Scripture doesn't say a whole lot about tobacco or dancing or gambling. All these things that people, you know, we kind of look at them and say, oh, you do that, you're not much of a Christian. But we'll use these things and we'll judge people against them or we'll use them as a, as a test for whether, uh, whether they're, they're, they're a good, solid Christian or not. Uh, so when we see brothers or sisters going against what we think, you know, you don't drink, don't dance, don't smoke, don't run with people who do, we look at people who don't follow our traditions Although the Bible is not real clear on them, they don't follow our traditions, so we start uh, castigating them, or we start judging them, or we kind of put them in a not-that-great-of-a-Christian column as compared to a strong Christian column. And the thing is, we're judging them based upon something they're doing that we say is wrong, not the Bible, and so we kind of put them as a second-class believer, if you will. Uh, And we may say, well, Brother Mike, I'm worried about that person because they're doing that, or I'm worried about that girl over there because she's engaged in that. And here's the thing, we're talking about things that the Bible doesn't specifically clearly say right or wrong. It's a gray area. And you can say you care for them all you want, but the truth of the matter is, if you dig down a little bit, it just sounds like judging. 
That's really exactly what it sounds like. Um, and there's nothing wrong with wanting a Christian to mature and things like that. But be careful that, that it doesn't get to judging. Jesus, in Matthew 26, Jesus had been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had been hauled off to jail. And Peter, St. Pete, he is, you know, he's hanging out. The disciples are like hanging like leaves out in the, the breeze. And, and Pete's there. He's scared. He didn't know if somebody's going to come and haul him off to jail or not. You know, they, they did that to Jesus. They can do that to me. So he's up there, and the Bible says this. He's up there uh, warming himself in the, by the fire uh, outside the courtyard. There was this little servant girl came up to him and said, Hey, you're one of those with Jesus the Galilean, the one they, hung, they, they, the one they hauled off. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know this guy. You go down a couple of verses later in verse 72. Again, Peter denied, this time taking an oath saying, I don't know this man. You go down a couple of verses later. Uh, in verse 73 and 74, uh, Peter swore, but this time he said, A curse on me if I'm lying. I do not know Jesus. And about that time, the rooster crowed three times, and Peter was reminded of what Jesus had said. He said, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. The Bible is very clear with how Peter left this situation. It says he left weeping what? It tore him up. He knew he'd been caught. He was face to face with his sin. He knew that he had hair-lipped the situation. He knew that he had done exactly what Jesus said he was going to do. And there wasn't a thing he could do about it. And it broke him. Man, I want to be honest with you. Look at old Pete's ministry and you would think that this would be the end of him. You would think that this would be the end of the road for his ministry. He can't do anything else for the kingdom of God. He dropped the ball that hard and that significantly. That's what you would think. But that's not what happened. How could he recover? How could he serve God after he dropped the ball and served such a tremendous way. Well, let's fast forward the DVR for three days. After the three days is over, Jesus has been resurrected. The disciples are coming back into the fold. And here comes old Peter. This is what he says. This is what Messiah says to, to old Pete. Jesus said, to, uh, Jesus said this to let, let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God with. He said, Peter, this is how it's going to go down. You're going to die. Then Jesus told him, hey, Peter, this is what I can offer you. I can offer you a road that's going to lead to death. Follow me. Peter turned around. He saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved. That would have been John. John the Beloved, the one who wrote the book of Revelation, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, the book of John. Peter turns around and says, well, what about this old boy back here, J.C.? What are you going to do with him? How's he going to die? How's he going to buy the farm? How's he going to bite the dust? How's he going to go down? Let me know, Jesus. Surely it's got to be worse than mine because I'm Pete. And look what. Jesus had just restored Peter after he had denied him publicly. And we got to assume that Peter had resumed following Jesus. As he was following Jesus, he heard somebody walking behind him. And who? what about him, Jesus? Now I want you to notice what Jesus replied with. He said, Pete, if I want him to remain alive until I come again, what business of that is that to you? Let me worry about John. Listen to this, man. Listen to this. Peter was so concerned about what was going to happen to John and, and what's going to be with him and, and how are things going to go with him. Is he going to get the same kind of death I am? Is he going to go through the same turmoil I am? Is he going to get what I'm going through? And these were all the questions that were on Peter's mind. Jesus replied, if I want him to do something, I, I'll take care of it. Literally what Jesus is saying is this. Peter, keep your eyes on your own paper. Stay in your lane. I'll take care of John. You take care of you. I'll take care of him. 
You make sure I'm Lord of your life. You make sure you've denied yourself and you're carrying your cross and following my will. Make sure that you're going in the will of God's direction. Don't worry about John. Dang, Mike. Yeah. That's hard stuff and it's coming straight from the mouth of Jesus. When I hear Christians judging other believers because they're doing something that they personally disagree with, Something that is not essential to our faith. Something that is not spelled out in black and white in the Word of God. And one Christian will be casting stones against another Christian. You can put whatever gray area you want to. Smoking, dancing, drinking, whatever. And they'll cast stones. And so desperately I want to say what Jesus said. Don't worry about them. Are you following Jesus? You let Jesus take care of them. You let Jesus work on their conscience. Take care of yourself. Matthew 7, 1 through 2. Don't judge, and you'll not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you'll be judged. Y'all, the thing is, we do judge people, dadgummit. I don't know about you, I do. We judge because we're human. Now, here's the secret. We judge because we're human, but if you really want to know how to be classy, know how to keep your judgments to yourself. Just keep them in. You don't have to air them. You don't have to post them. You don't have to to tell your neighbors. You can just keep them in. We do judge people. I ran across this quote in Dadgum and I liked it. It says, we judge people for judging people because we know judging people is wrong. We judge, keep that up, son. We judge people for judging people because judging people is wrong. I will tell you this. The happiest people I know are those who, who judge themselves and examine themselves and they're always taking feedback from their self. What did I do wrong? How can I do better? How can I follow Jesus more closely? Those people are happy. I'm going to tell you the most miserable people. The people who are critiquing others. Judging others. Grading others. So church... I love what Wesley says before we get to Romans 14. And yes, we're getting to Romans 14. We should be rigorous in judging ourselves and gracious in judging others. Let's take what we just learned. Now let's go into Romans 14, where we were last week. There is an interesting shift in the way that the Apostle Paul describes the relationship between the people in the church. In the beginning of Romans 14, I think it's chapter 4, Paul uses this relationship analogy to describe uh, the people in the church as being master and slave or or a judge. Here's what the Bible says in in, in 4, and we we covered this last week. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? He's, He's talking to the Christians in the church, and the implication here is you're not the master of anyone. You're the servant of all, and we all belong to Jesus. To his own master, that servant stands or falls. And he will stand. I love that. And he will stand. There's not a question about it. He will stand. There is not an issue. Paul says, oh, you will stand because the grace of Jesus is making you stand. It's okay, Paul is saying. It's all right. But what he was saying is you're not in a master-servant relationship with other Christians in your church. You are not in a judgment-defendant relationship with other believers in the church. And as soon as you do, it becomes adversarial in that congregation. I want you to notice the change when we get to the last part of Romans 14. He went from the master-servant relationship to more familial relationship. Romans 14, 12 
15. So then each of us must give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacles in your master's way. No. In your servant's way. No. In your judge, in your judge's way. No. In your defendant's way. No. Don't put one in your brother's way. He's went from master servant to say, don't forget that you're brothers and sisters in the church. Don't forget that you are family. Don't forget that you are of the same blood and we are in no position to judge anyone else. We are not in the master-servant kind of relationship. We're in the brother-sister kind of relationship. We're not in that master-servant thing. We're in a brother thing. Y'all, maybe you can get the impression from, from what we've covered so far that we never, we never address anybody. We just kind of let everybody live and let live. And, and we just kind of let sin go unchecked. And we let the weak stay in their weak state of faith. Maybe you can get that impression. If so, I'm wrong because that is not what I'm saying. Maybe you get the idea that spiritual freedom means you do what you like. But that's not what spiritual freedom is. Let me ask you a question. Do you live in a free, do you live in a free country? Does that mean you can do whatever you like? You are free in Christ. But does that mean you can do whatever you like? Absolutely not. Sin is never on the table. Sin is never the option. But we are free in Christ. And if we love each other, we're going to help each other grow. If we love one another, we're going to help each other mature in the faith. If we love one another, if we see a brother or a sister getting off path, we're going to go to them and not going to blast them. We're just going to say, hey man, what's going on? Can I help you? This is what I see. And it's all done out of love. How do you... I thought about this. That whole stumbling block thing. Lots of sermons on Okay, the trick here is going to be remember where I stopped preaching. Um, Pam, can you help me? You weren't listening either, were you? Uh, oh, yeah. How do you know if you've stumbled? How do you know if somebody's done that to you? Here it is. If somebody has asked you to do something or they've talked you into doing something that they have freedom to do, they have... Uh, it, it, it's okay between them and God. Their conscience is clear. And for you, it's been an issue. You say, man, I'm a, I don't know about that. I, 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 I don't know. But you give in. You do it. You engage. You participate. This is how you know if you've been tripped up. When you do it, you feel guilt. When you do it, you felt shame. When you do it, it felt like, oh, man, this is something I should not be doing. That's what it feels like if you have stumbled. That's what it feels like if there has been an obstacle placed in your way that you've tripped over as a Christian. You immediately know that this is not for me. And that's how you'll know that your conscience has been made up between you and God. Now, real quick, how do you make sure you don't make people stumble? How do you make sure that that you you, you don't do that? How do you make sure that you're not on the other end of that? Well, uh, the, the truth is, 
understand that your actions affect other people in your church. Because we're all connected. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, that if one member uh, receives honor, then they're all honored. But if one suffers, then they all suffer. Because in the church, we are all connected. We are family. And so we all struggle and we all smile together. Like it or not, we are connected in this family. Romans 14, 15 through 23. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. If you make somebody upset because of the liberty you are, you are engaged in, you're no longer, you can say, well, I'm free in Christ. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Well, yeah, it kind of does. You're not acting out of love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is, is bigger than eating. It's bigger than drinking. But of the righteousness of peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by Him. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Don't rip the church apart. Don't rip the family apart because of a freedom you have. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean. Church, say all food is clean. Praise God. Even bratwurst, barbecued pork ribs, it's all good. But it's wrong for a man to eat something that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. Martin Luther had an incredible quote about that in his book on the liberty of, of, of a Christian. He says, a Christian is the most free Lord of all, subject to none. And a Christian is the most dutiful servant of all, subject to all. We do have a responsibility to other people. We do have a responsibility. Paul made it clear that the Christian has a freedom in Christ. He has a liberty in Christ. And now he's saying, just because you have the liberty, it doesn't mean you always should engage it. It doesn't mean you always use it. It doesn't mean that it's always something you have to do. In fact, if you're going to limit your freedom, then you can do it voluntarily. Not because somebody makes you, but voluntarily. Basically, what Paul was saying is, if I'm with a Jewish congregation... I can worship the Lord in that Jewish congregation with whatever they're doing. If I'm in a Gentile congregation, I can worship the Lord with whatever they're doing, and I don't have to tear apart their traditions. I don't have to tear apart who they are or where they came from. I can go in there, and I can worship the Lord with them. Church, not everybody in this room believes the same way about everything. But we all believe that Jesus is the Son of God, died on the cross for our sin, rose again on the third day, and hallelujah, he's coming back soon. We all believe that's an essential thing but you and i might have a different opinion on smoking drinking might have a different opinion on lottery we might have a different opinion on uh did i say dancing i don't know you, you put in your gray area there i don't care we might have different opinions on that can i tell you something that's uniformity. That's uniformity if we all believe the same thing. The church has not been called to have uniformity. We've been called to have unity. And that takes love. Because we don't all agree. We don't all, a, we don't all have the same thought on these non-essential things. But don't use those as a litmus test to see if somebody passes or fails on what you consider to be a Christian. Because, man, if they've got Jesus, they don't have to stand before you anyway, period. They, stand, they stand before Him.
we're going to have to answer for our actions. Uh, we won't have to answer for the actions of others. We'll have to answer for our own actions. And man, if that's the case, then we better have some pretty good answers. We better have some pretty good answers when we stand before Him. There's a part of repentance. When we come to Christ, we believe that He's the Son of God, and then we repent from our sin. And I, I keep on going back to this 27-year-old guy that lives four blocks with, uh, uh, from the church, got saved and baptized here 10 years ago, won't come to church because he said, Brother Mike, I did all those things. I'm saved. I don't have to worry about anything. That's what you said. Here's something I learned about repentance today. Repentance, there is an element of feeling bad about what you did. There's a sorrow that you feel bad about what you did. There is a regret about the sin that you committed. That's, that's true. That is the first part of repentance. It is a feel of regret and remorse of what you did. But that's not all of what repentance is. Part of the sorrow is there because you feel the guilt and sin and condemnation of sin. But then you move on. You go and you live a life chasing Jesus. You go and live a life pursuing Him and His will. Jesus tells us a story about two sons. Matthew 21, verse 28 through 32. What do you think? There was a man who had two boys. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the field. And the boy said, Man, Dad, I'm just tired. I will not. He answered. But later on, he repented. He changed his mind and he did go out to the field and he worked. Then the father went to the other son, the second boy, and said the same thing. Son, go out there in the work of the field. And instead of saying no, the boy said, yes, sir, I will be there. But he didn't go. So one said no, but he went. One said yes, but he didn't go. Jesus said, which one do you think did the will of the father? Which one do you think, church? But that's not what he said. But you saw repentance. Church. Jesus goes on with the story because he asked that question. He says, absolutely. The first they answered, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, guys. The tax collector and the prostitute are entering the kingdom of God way ahead of you. For John the Baptist came to you to show you the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even uh, after you saw this, you did not. You didn't change direction. Oh, you felt bad. You felt horrible about what you did. You knew things were messed up. But you didn't repent. There is a feeling of remorse with repentance, but it doesn't stop there. Repentance takes this. It takes a change of mind that takes to a change of behavior and an alteration on how we live out our Christian life. Here's another illustration. John chapter 8. Uh, a group of, a group of, of Pharisees and, and, and muckety-mucks in the Jewish faith, they bring out this woman who was caught into adultery before Jesus. Because here they're trying to, to trap Rabbi Jesus, Teacher Jesus, and that's what they call Him. They call Him Teacher. They bring Him out because... You see, if they're going to bring her out and they're going to quote the, the law of Moses, you know, that an adulterer must die by stoning. And if Jesus goes along with that, that's super. You know, that's awesome. Uh, he's on our side. If he didn't go along with it, the Roman law said uh, that you cannot commit murder. So if he says, no, nah, uh, if, he, if, he if he says kill her or let her live, either way you go, the guy's in a trick box. He can't answer with an answer they want. He's going to get caught. So they bring this adulterous woman out. And by the way, I think it was very weird they didn't bring out the adulterous man. Woman comes out, and they say, okay, big boy, what are you going to do, teacher? Jesus just bends over, starts writing in the dirt. I don't know what he wrote. There's been entire books written about what he wrote. Doesn't matter. In my mind, it's always been Jesus thinking, well, man, this ain't nothing but a thing. Jesus says, whoever has not sinned, go ahead and pick up and stone and throw it first. 
But one by one, people start leaving the older ones first because they're wiser than the young. The Bible says this. Um, I've got to do a better job. I've got to make shorter sermons, guys. This is crazy. Um, Hey, uh, Russ, you have that passage with the uh, adulterous woman? Oh, there it is. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. There it is on the bottom of the page. Until only Jesus was left. Who left first, the older or the younger? They knew the score. Jesus straight up asked her, Woman, where are they? Where's all those guys who were condemning you? Where are all those people who were, who were tearing you down? Where are they? Uh, Jesus straightened her up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And the woman says, No one, sir. By the way, that word sir is actually translated Lord. Do you remember what the rabbis and the Pharisees had called Jesus? Teacher. The adulterous woman called him Lord. Who told her that? Who told her that that was the Messiah? Who told her that that was the Redeemer? Who told her that that was the one that Yahweh had sent? I want to tell you something. The Bible tells us in the book of First uh, or Second Corinthians that no one calls him Lord but by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you what happened to that woman in the dirt. She got saved. She come out of her adulterous life and Jesus said, Oh, I'm going to save you. I'm going to heal you. I'm not going to condemn you. You're forgiven. All the people who condemned you are gone. It's just you and me here. And I want you to notice what He said. He didn't say... Throw the verse back up. He didn't say, go back to your life of adultery. Go back to your life of whoredom. Go back to your life of, of sin. He didn't say that. He saved her, and then he said, honey, get up and go sin no more. Sister, that's the other end of repentance. You feel horrible for your sin, but you also live a different life when you get up out of the dirt. When you get up, you walk a different way. Repentance takes that change of mind. Church, it starts with believing Jesus as your Savior and repenting and turning from sin. And this is the thing I know, church, we won't live sinless lives. But we can have a whole lot less sin in our lives. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about repentance. We live in a fallen, broken world. But here's the thing. Even those sins that are in your life, you are free from the guilt and the condemnation of them. Brother, that is Christian freedom. As we grow in our faith, we understand what it means to live free from the guilt and power and condemnation of sin. As we grow in our faith, we understand what it means to grow in grace. And we understand what it means to grow in our relationship with God. Miss Pam and I raised two wonderful boys, Lake and Ridge, and when they were young, and, and I'm sure all parents do this, we did not leave sharp scissors on the edge of the couch or on the chair or on the desk when they were learning to walk. I mean, it was a freak show, you know. You so, so you kept all the sharp objects up and you put them little plastic things over over the, over the electrical things. You put the, you put the baby latches on the kitchen uh, cabinets. It's a whole show. It's a production. Now, Miss Pam and I, we could use the scissors anytime we wanted. We knew how to use scissors. The boys, oh, it was dangerous for them. I mean, as long as they weren't walking well and as long as they had bangs, scissors were off the limit. You know, scissors were off limits. Until they learned. That scissors are okay. You can do it safely. There is a way to accomplish it. There is a way to, to handle them. 
Now, if Miss Pam and I were putting our scissors up when our boys came home now at 22 and, and 20, you would think that, how come our boys have not got their own limited series on Netflix yet? You know what I'm saying? If, if, if we're putting our scissors up, because we don't trust those kids in the house with scissors, something's wrong. Because now they're grown. They know how to handle it. They know how to do it. They know how to operate with it. Church, when you start your Christian walk, you may need some stronger Christians around you to help you navigate what's ahead of you. When you first start your Christian walk, you may need some more mature Christians around you to help you learn what it means to be a Christian. Because there are certain truths that all Christians adhere to and go by. Don't steal, don't kill, don't gossip, don't, don't commit adultery, don't covet, don't be jealous. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. Love God more than anything. Those are things that we can all get behind, alright? Those are essentials, but there's a lot of those areas. Acceptable Christian living practices where, if we're honest, there's just a level of disagreement. And those areas, they're not foundational to our faith. But to grow in your faith... It means you're denying yourself. You're submitting to the will of God and you're following after Jesus. Looks like going to a connect group. Looks like coming to a worship service. Looks like being serving in your church. It looks like the church. I mean, if you have repented, you're going to be doing the things that church people do. You're going to be doing the things that Christians do. Now, we we can't treat each other like babies all of our lives and we can't stay babies all of our lives. We can't stay babies. And we can't be babies. Church, the mature faith, this is, what the, this is what the immature faith needs. The immature faith needs knowledge. The strong faith needs love to help those who have a weaker faith. That's nothing about judging. That has everything to do with being a family. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 6.12. Every, oh, I love this. Everything is what? But not everything's beneficial. Just because I have freedom... It doesn't mean that I should do everything. But not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Last week I, I gave the concept of being a freedom to, uh, to being a bondage to, fr- being in bondage to freedom. There are Christians who say, I'm saved. I can do whatever I want, go whatever I want. I'm covered by the grace of God, by the blood of Jesus. That 27 year old guy lives within four blocks of this church, got saved 10 years ago. That's exactly what he is. He's a bondage. He's in bondage to freedom. And what Paul is saying here is, I won't be a master. I won't be mastered by it. I have Christian freedom, but I won't let it master my life. No, that seat's reserved for Jesus. So what do we do when we don't agree with others about an issue? I want you to remember, church, where the Scripture is clear, there's no further explanation that's needed. I know exactly where God stands on marriage. I know exactly where God stands on gender and sexuality issues. I know exactly where God stands on financial issues. I know exactly where God stands on a lot of issues. But there's some I don't. Those are those gray areas, and that tends to be where people get into arguments and things like that. Where the Scripture is clear, no further explanation is necessary. Where it's unclear, be careful that you don't make your convictions Scripture. Because they're your convictions. Don't make those honest disagreements between other believers be a litmus test for fellowship. Oh, you don't use King James Version Bible? You can't. We can't be friends. Oh, you don't talk in tongues? We can't be friends. Oh, you talk in tongues? We can't be friends. Oh, you take open communion? Oh, we can't get along. Oh, you have closed communion? We can't get along. 
Baptism, alcohol, tobacco, lottery, bingo, movies, you name it. If you don't believe like us, then you can't be with us. Y'all, we sound just like the Amish at this point. See, we add these requirements that Scripture has not put in. Do not make them a litmus test for fellowship. You can borrow somebody else's clothes, but, but not their convictions. You find out for your own heart, your own mind, and your own conscience where God stands on these things. If the convictions you have are not yours, you're holding them on your own by religion and not by faith. See what the Word of God says. Search the Scripture. Pray. Ask other Christians who love and respect, and they'll typically be older and more knowledgeable. Um, so what do I want you to do? So what do you do about these non-essential things that you're not able to come to an agreement on? What do you do about these things where you and your, your other guy in church, you can't come die to eye? And it, it can be all kinds of things. And I, I, I'm going to pepper this just so you'll know the illustration. Um, you know, there, there's, there's some Christians who will social drink and there's some who won't. There are some, uh, I, I've talked to a, a couple, and they feel bad about this. We go out for our anniversary, and we have a glass of wine. Preacher, is that okay? I don't know. It's between you and God, man. I don't, I don't, I don't care. But these areas that are there, and they'll freak people out, and they cause trouble in the church. What do you do on those things that, man, you just can't work out? Wouldn't it be cool if there was a verse in the Bible that told us what to do? Wouldn't it be awesome? Surprise. Verse 22. So whatever you believe about those things, the non-essential things, whatever you believe, your convictions, keep your mouth shut and keep it between you and God. Preach, I didn't know that was in there. You're welcome. If it's a non-essential issue, be careful. Because the Bible literally says in black and white, if you have a problem, maybe just keep that between you and God. You don't have to go to a business meeting with it. You don't have to go to a committee. You don't have to put it on Facebook. You don't have to get on the landline and burn up the lines. Just be quiet. Because you don't know if they're right and you don't know if you're right. My God, think how many problems that we solve in churches all across the world. In denominations even. Church, there's something called discretion. There's something called wisdom. If you know another believer is new to the faith and they're weak in the faith, well, preach one. Ask them questions. Ask them how they feel about those issues. You'll be able to fill them out and see where they're at. It doesn't have to be an argument. You can do it very gently, very subtly. You're not trying to start a fight. You're trying to keep unity. And if they let you share scripturally, a scripturally constructed conviction and let them listen. This is why I feel the way I do. Why do you feel the way you do? If they flare up, if they get mad, you're done with the conversation. Back out. You don't have to convict them. You don't have to convince them of anything. Just back away. Just love them. It's okay. okay. That's cool. That's fine. Well, Brother Mike, what about my rights? You gave up your rights at the cross. Because you denied yourself. And you submitted to the will of God. And you're following him after, after the will of, and the heart of God. Church, we don't have to convince them of anything or change their mind. You don't have to mold their convictions. Let God do that. 
You let God know their convictions. We don't have to fight. We don't have to argue on matters of Scripture that are not clear. Man, what I'm saying is enjoy your freedom in Christ. You don't have to be shackled to tradition and religion that doesn't match up with the Word of God. You have a freedom. Now, be careful, be considerate, be loving, but don't be a bully. I read a commentary. I think it's in the worst uh, W-U-E-R-S-T uh, uh, Greek translation. I, I, think, I think this is where it was. Don't quote me on, don't quote me on this quote. Um, but it said that one old minister said, and that's how, the, that's how the, the work was cited. One minister said this. That the person with weak faith is the biggest bully in the world. The one with weak faith is the biggest bully in the world. From what I've seen, I believe him. Church, if I could have every head bowed, every eye closed. Man, I want you to think about maybe a time where you were the victim of somebody judging over an action that you, you know, even to this day, you think, well, man, nothing in Scripture says it about it. But it made you feel horrible. It made you feel less than. Jesus can heal you today. He can set you free, and he can give you peace, and he can give you healing. Maybe today you've, maybe the Holy Spirit has, has come to you and said, hey, man, you're the bully. That's the hat you wear. Because they don't think and believe and say what you say or do what you do, then somehow they're less than a Christian than you are. Maybe that's you. Man, if that's the case, then you've got some confessing and repenting to do. Maybe you've been sitting in a seat that wasn't yours and talking about the judgment seat of Christ. I don't know who told us that we could have Jesus' seat at that table, but we were lied to. So maybe today you just need to come up and say, Hey, Jesus, I'm sorry. Here's your seat back. I'll, I'll sit down and be quiet. I'll just love my brothers and sisters. I'm not going to judge them. That's yours. That's, that, that, that's your job. That's your, that's your bang zone. Church, if I could, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. My dear friend, this morning this invitation is open. Maybe you need to just come forward and just in a public proclamation way, just by coming forward, you'd be saying, Lord, I'm going to pursue your heart and I'm going to pursue the relationships that you bless in this church. Maybe you need to say, I've not always been, uh, I've not always been the biggest proponent of unity, but I will be from now on. I understand the difference between uniformity and unity today. I don't know what God's going to do with this invitation with you. I have no idea. But he's told me it's his invitation, so I don't have to worry about it. Almighty God, as we go into this time of invitation, this altar call, this response. Father, we've been given a lot from your word today that challenges us, that shakes us, that, that wrecks who we are in some instances. But Lord, I pray today that, that you would wreck us. I pray that you would tear us apart, Father, and reassemble us into the men and women that you want us to be. Lord God, I pray for peace and unity in this house. And Lord, I pray for those who are going to come forward because they've been wounded or they have wounded. And Father, I pray that this this would mark a change, a difference in the way we see and view other believers who don't believe exactly what we do, the way we do. 
As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, in a minute, Carrie's going to start singing for us. The words will be up on the screen, but the invitation is open. God, have your way in this place. And it's in Christ's name I pray for healing, healing, healing. And amen. Let's, let's sing. Come, my sin oppressed, there's would you come this morning? 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 By trusting in His Every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Y'all want you to think about something. That whole idea about repentance being more than feeling bad or remorseful or guilt over sin. The other side of repentance is moving away from sin and running to Jesus. You know, if you remember the story of Judas betraying Jesus, the Bible says that he repented and he took those 30 pieces of silver that he had betrayed Jesus with and he threw it back into the temple. It says that he repented and he changed his mind. He, he went outside the hill and he threw himself off of it. Oh, Judas felt bad. He felt guilty. He felt remorseful of his sin. But he didn't repent. I read you the story of Peter, how he betrayed Jesus three times there in front of all them people. And the Bible says he wept bitterly. Oh man, that's repentance. But see the difference between Peter dropping the ball and Judas dropping the ball is when Judas dropped the ball, he fell away from Christ. And when Peter dropped the ball, he fell towards Christ. My friend, do you need to fall towards Jesus today? Maybe you've been running towards something else, someone else, something else. Today, do you need to fall towards Him? Because you see, we all fall. We all stumble. The difference is, Christian, we fall towards the cross. This morning, maybe you need to make a commitment to deeper repentance. Turning more from sin, turning more from iniquity, and turning more to Jesus. Today, if you would make that commitment in your life and your heart, this invitation is open. I just invite you to come forward saying, Lord, I'm renewing, I'm recommitting the direction of my life, and I'm going to follow you. Let's sing and the invitation is open.